Announcements uh, before I begin this podcast. Um, first of all, I'm uh, trying to get my new book, uh, Anatomy of Demonic Possession, uh, out before Halloween, uh, but it doesn't appear that way. So, moving the date to try to get it out before Christmas, uh, but yeah, I'm not trying to pressure myself to try and get it done. Um, because it's, <clears throat> I'm putting, actually putting a lot of work into this book, uh, because I want it to be, um, my best work. And from those, those who have, uh, read part one of it so far, I've just given it out to people, um, that I know of that have, uh, read it, um, they say it's pretty good, and... It is quite possibly my best work yet. I understand that <clears throat> one particular book, um, uh, when I uh, started out in the paranormal community helping people, um, I had to get something out right away. That's what I felt like. Um, I had all these teams finding out who I was and you know, they're. Uh, and uh, experiencing extreme cases, and they they needed help on them, and uh, they found me, and I uh, I was helping them more, and I kept getting asked like, "Do you have any books or materials that we can use to uh, help us in this kind of thing when we're dealing with demons?" And I said, "Well, no, not yet. Well, uh, I'll, I'll start working on something." So. One of the first books that I got out was uh, Mechanics of Demonology. It was just, uh, you know, my own way of saying, hey, he, this is uh, what, um, pretty much what's going on and what, how, you, how you deal with your demons and stuff like that, or, you know, that you're, you're uh, going out on cases. <clears throat> so I tried to have, like, a bit of everything in it. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's my best work because I... Even some of my students at the time were like, yeah, I think you're, it, when I read it, it just kind of feels like you're just trying to get something out there. I'm like, yeah, I was. <laughs> uh, I just I wanted to help as many teams as possible, and I kept telling myself, I'm like, i gotta, I got to go back and i got to read to this book. And um, so for years, years were going by, and I... I I wrote the the next one, Mechanics of Demonology 2, the intermediate level. I was, I was planning on having like a trilogy, you know, to keep each one getting better and a little bit more advanced. And the third one was going to be the advanced level, and, and I never put that out. And uh, I had a great book cover design for it and everything, and it never happened. So I apologize. And... I don't know what happened with that book, 
mechanics of demonology. And when I started going to cons, I started signing books. And I don't really sign a lot of books, to be honest. And I do that on purpose. You know, you ask me to sign something, I'll sign it. You know, I'll sign a book. And you only know it's my signature if it's if it's in a gold pen or a purple pen. And I do that for that purpose, that uh, so that you people know it's it's actually my signature. So it's just uh, purple is one of my favorite colors, along with blue. And uh, I'm I'm really passionate about purple. I don't know what it is about purple. Purple just you know, I, I prefer to call it violet in a way, but it's just really, I guess it's a, just a good emphasis about who I am, you know, like my past was evil and now I'm good and it's kind of a mesh of the two. I don't know. Um, blue, I, I always loved blue. Blue's always been my favorite color. I'm passionate about purple. Um... <clears throat> So, and gold because, you know, I got to admit I like gold. I, you know, as a, as a full-time financial advisor and, uh, you know, understanding the economy and understanding that eventually our country, the whole world economic system is going to go into a hyperinflation and where you want to be and set yourself up uh, for success is, uh, is to be in gold and silver. So that's why I'm really passionate about gold. But you didn't hear that from me, because a lot of financial agencies and firms and stuff like that are adamant about their financial advisors not uh, talking about gold. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of different funds out there that you can get um, investments that do have like the gold spider um, fund. Um, there's a lot of ETFs out there. ETFs are like a combination of a stock and a mutual fund put together. It's sold on the stock, uh, on the stock exchange. And I really like ETFs. I mean, whoever invented ETFs is just a awesome person. I think most of my stuff in my, por my personal portfolio is, has ETFs in it. They're exchange traded funds. And um, you really want to, if you're going to buy buy stock, um, just don't go buy a regular old stock. Just buy, you want to buy a stock that pays out a good dividend of 3% or more. That's what I do. I either buy name brand stocks that pay out a good dividend or ETF to diversify my portfolio a bit more. But there you go. I went rambled on, talked about my, my career, my full-time job, and I'm not talking about my part-time job, <laughs> which is Deliverance Ministry. <clears throat> so I have to apologize. I woke up this morning with my asthma flaring up, and so that's why I'm breathing in, breathing in there pretty deep. Um, so, um, the one of the main announcements is because of my book, uh, Anatomy of Demonic Possession, is going to be pretty much my main book, my new uh, flagship book, you could say. Um, I decided to discontinue when that come when <coughs> Anatomy of Demonic Possession comes out. I decided to discontinue um, and unpublish uh, Mechanics of Demonology, both books. <clears throat> so if you want, um, go out and be a good investment, um, because I, I, for some reason, like I was going to get back and I was going to say this, uh, but actually on Amazon, if you look up uh, uh, Mechanics of Demonology, for some odd reason, all the books people have had me sign have gone for between four to $600, and I became one of the main even though I'm like tiny in the paranormal community <clears throat> and I guess popularity or whatever, but I don't care. Um, 
with my book book with my signature it's become one of the most uh, expensive books out there and so I so apparently if you get a, one of my books with a signature it's worth roughly four to six hundred dollars I don't know why but maybe I don't know because maybe I don't sign very many of them <clears throat> so if you if you do get uh, buy my book and you want it signed um, have it sent to me contact me I'll sign it um, so I know that you know if it's a good investment it's a good investment I guess um, I plan on buying up some myself and signing them and and uh, so I'm putting them out there so I guess take advantage of that kind of thing I guess I don't know <laughs> but um, so and yeah I, I plan on uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm passionate about is also is my family has uh, pretty much been in the military since uh, my great-uncle and uh, my like I said in my uh, previous podcast, my grandfather fought in World War II, and my dad fought in Vietnam. And I myself tried to get in the military, but um, I wanted to be an Apache helicopter pilot or or a command, a tank commander. And my dad and my grandfather took me off to the side when I was getting uh, close to graduating high school, and they said, "No, you're not going to war. Where you?" You never been experienced war. You're not going to go into military. You never experienced war, and war's terrible. I'm like, uh, so, I'm like, okay. I guess I'll just go into. Uh, so I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a fine art, uh, fine artist. I wanted to paint, and I wanted to create stuff, and I wanted to put it out there. People will sell, you know, buy my buy my paintings, and. Uh, my dad even took me off to the side on that. He said, no, if you're going to do that, do something that's business-wise with it. And so that's why when I went to school for graphic design. And now I wish I could go back in time and tell myself, no, you're going to go in business. You're going to get a business degree, which I happened to do later on. And then, of course, went back to school, to Bible school, and ultimately got a Masters of Theology. So, a little advice too about meddling with us pastors, us theologians, too. Um, I mean, I consider myself more of a theologian than I do a pastor because I just uh, I keep studying. I can't stop studying. Those of you who know know me, I I love knowledge and I can't stop um, learning. Um, when you're talking to us about the Bible, this is one of my biggest pet peeves, probably the best, you know, biggest pet peeve. It happens to me a lot wherever I go, especially in the cons. He would come up to me and would try to debate with me about the Bible. And I have to defend God. I have to sit down and I have to defend myself and defend what the Bible actually says. With a lot of scripture and I'll give you scripture I'll sit down and tell you what the Bible says I'll give you the culture that happened back then I'll give you the language and I'll give you the history and why the particular writing was actually written so I know all that we theologians have to know that stuff we go to school and we study it I told other people this and I'll tell you this the public would you go to a doctor's office and debate with a doctor, you know, a physician, more specifically, a physician or a surgeon about a particular surgery or your diagnosis? More than likely, no, because you trust the doctor. You know the doctor is well-educated. Would you go to an, into a courtroom with an attorney and debate the law? No, you wouldn't, because the attorney knows more about the law than you do. Now, it's the same thing with a theologian. Why would you go and debate the Bible with a theologian? 
when they know just about everything about the Bible, the language, the history, the culture that happened, the cities, the people. They've studied all of that. Why would you go and debate a theologian about that? A theologian with a seminary, specifically for the purpose of knowing the scriptures. And even more, an attorney goes to law school to learn law. And a physician goes to medical school to learn medicine. So there, there you have it. Don't debate with us theologians. I'm sorry to say it, but we know more than you do about the Bible. And in fact, if you have any questions about the Bible, feel free to reach out to me and I'll uh, help you understand. Now, I had to go back to school and I had to learn some Greek. I had to learn Biblical Hebrew. I had to learn world religions. Yeah, they teach us all of that. The history, the culture, everything of the time, everything that was written. So, now what we're going to do today is it's important for you as a new exorcist to go and have your own tools to conduct your ministry. Now, a lot of, I know a lot of people out there, they trust more in, in their pastor or their priest to, to uh, produce holy water, anointing oil, or bless salt, or do a blessing. And in case, this is in case you were one of those. Or if you're on the fly and you got to go to a case and you just don't know, you know, you don't have have anything to create, you don't have enough time to create holy water or something, then, you know, turn to this podcast and go to these sections that I'm going to do and uh, have me, you know, play those parts where I'm praying the prayers to uh, produce your own tools that you need. Now, I, I know that a lot of people out there, especially in the paranormal community, are going to criticize this podcast. Oh, J.P. Hager prayed a bunch of prayers, and he, uh, you know, been, he's thinking that, um, you know, you can create all this stuff just from a recording. Oh, my goodness. Well, apparently you don't know the Christian faith a lot, a lot. Um, what I'm going to do is ex- exactly, and, th- and this is going to back up what I'm going to doing with Scripture, because we always back up stuff with Scripture. Um, what I'm going to do is basically take you through an example of what I'm going to do, and then uh, give you a verse that you can use a lot. I use it quite a bit. I even remind demons of what I'm doing. That's John fourteen fourteen. Ask any Jesus said any ask anything in my name and it will happen. That's pretty powerful. We can use Jesus' name for stuff. And I have even reminded evil spirits of that. They're talking to me and they're telling me stuff and I I tell them to do something and they try to resist. You can see them resisting. They're they have to do it, but they're resisting and I say, You'll do it. Because I'm asking Jesus, according to John 14, 14, ask anything in my name, and it will happen. And Jesus is watching you. And I compel you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I say. And they do it. So, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Once marveled at the faith he found in a man. And it's the only instance that the Gospels record such a response from Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Who was this man? A rabbi? No. A disciple? Nope. A Roman soldier. That's who it was. Jesus had walked down 
in the brow of the low mountain outside of Capernaum his adopted home Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 16 he had just delivered what would become the most famous sermon in history when he entered the town he was met by a small delegation of Jewish elders they had an urgent request there was this Roman centurion whose servant was so sick that he was expected to die shortly. The centurion had asked these elders to go to Jesus on his behalf to see his see if Jesus might be willing to heal his servant. Now this was very unusual. Jewish leaders were not to not in, not in the habit of being fond of of Roman soldiers during the time. Feeling the obvious oddness of the request, one of the elders quickly added, He is worth worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one of and he is one the one who built us our synagogue. This was also unusual. Roman soldiers were not in the habit of being fond of Jews. Jesus discerned the Father's hand in this, and so he set off with, with them to the centurion's home. He had also just preached a couple hours earlier on the importance of loving one's enemies. This was something to encourage. As they heard the how, as they I'm sorry, as they neared the house, another group of friends inter intercepted them. There was a brief, huddled conference with the elders. There were hushed, earnest voices. The elders seemed confused and concerned. Some observers thought the servant must have died. A representative of the, of the interpreting uh, intercept, I'm sorry, insert, and then a representative of the intercepting group stepped over to Jesus and said respectfully, Teacher, I have a message for you from my Roman friend. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you but say the word and let my servant be healed for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it Jesus' expression turned thoughtful. He pondered the words, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, and I too am a man under authority, but the soldiers under me. He nodded his head slightly, and there was just a hint of a chuckle. This man was a Roman soldier, a representative of Israel's enemy, and yet he understood what even these Jewish elders didn't yet grasp. It was a marvel. He looked back at the, at the friend and then to the elders. Then he turned and scanned his eyes over, over his disciples and the small crowd of people who had followed him down the mountain. Then he said aloud, even for everyone to hear, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Luke chapter 7 verse 9. Both Luke, Luke chapter 7 verse 9, and Matthew, Matthew 8, 10, use the Greek word thomazo, thomazo, which we translate marveled or amazed to describe Jesus' response to the centurion's faith. The only time this word 
is used to grasp Jesus' response to others' faith is in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. When he marvels at the lack of faith in the people of Nazareth, where he grew up. The centurion was one of the most unlikely persons to amaze Jesus. He was a Gentile. Doubtless, he had a pagan upbringing. He was a Roman, stationed in Palestine to subject the Jews to the emperor's rule. He was a man of war. He achieved the rank of centurion by distinguishing himself above others in the brutal Roman martial arts. Not exactly the resume you'd expect for becoming one of the Bible's greatest heroes of faith. So what in the world had happened to this man? We don't know. But there he is in Capernaum, a miracle of God's marvelous grace. And he's a first fruit and a foreshadow of what Jesus had come to bring about. He was a living illustration that many would come from the east and west to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11. This centurion is also a reminder to us that man looks on the outward appearance, which a lot of in the paranormal community do. But the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I think we'll, we will be surprised someday when Jesus goes out rewards. Most of the great ones among us will probably have lived in obscurity. Jesus is not as impressed with titles, degrees, and achievements as we are. He is impressed with those who really do humbly believe him. John Piper once quoted Billy Graham saying, God will not reward fruitlessness. He will reward faithfulness. The centurion was faithful. He wanted to be like him. When I, I wanted to be like him when I grew up. Seeking with you to be faithful. So there you have it. This man had a strong faith. He believed that all Jesus had to do was say the word and it would happen. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants for us. Especially when you're doing deliverance ministry. You're doing exorcisms. Now a lot of these people that peddle the idea in the paranormal community, oh, you got to go to a church, you got to have it be done face-to-face -face with a priest or pastor and have that water blessed. Or have that oil blessed. Or have that salt blessed. you got to have a, a priest, a pastor, go into your home and say those prayers. It's ridiculous. Ye have little faith. Now, I don't mean to brag, and I admit, I fully admit, in my book, The Echolus, my tells my testimony. There was only one time, and I'll play that clip later on in another podcast, a future podcast, and periodically I'm going to release exorcisms, audios of exorcisms I've done in future podcasts just so that it's educational purposes. There was only one time that I was not successful at an exorcism, and I admit that it was damaging. It was damaging to another home in Indiana and it was damaging to the church that I did it in. 
and I'm not proud of that that case. And it was dealing with powers, and then I didn't realize that until during the exorcism. This woman had powers in her. That principality, they were very powerful devils. They weren't evil spirits or unclean spirits. They were fallen angels. They were devils. And uh, to explain that case, I I uh, I had fasted, I had prayed, and uh, other people experienced things that were involved in that case. And I even have uh, demonologist John Mueller come on and tell about his uh, experiences with that case. Also, where I mean. I try to have those people that were involved in the cases to come on. And I'm going to try to do that. To talk about those cases. To give their, so there's a third party so that they, that you can hear their experience. And, but all the other cases I've handled, all of them were cast out successfully. You know, the Holy Spirit, they either, whether either what happened, the Holy Spirit had sent them to where it wanted uh, them to go, usually the pit, the abyss, or Tartarus, or I had to say make them say an oath before God of their own banishment. It takes a lot of faith to do this work. And if you want to get into something more advanced like I was, which is called ecbolism, you're going to have to learn faith. You're going to have to sit down and really learn how to develop your faith. And I got a case coming up. A uh, gentleman uh, is believed to be possessed by this family. Um, well, this family believes that this uh, their relative is possessed. I'm not going to go into a lot of details because one of the people I've trained is asking for my help. And I'll share the backgrounds of that case coming up. And I haven't done this in six years. The first deliverance I did uh, was a cleansing on a, on, on a mansion. Still to this day, I haven't heard any problems in the mansion. But I gotta go after, and still, you know, I'm basically diagnosed with PTSD from doing a lot of these deliverances and exorcisms by two psychologists. And I'm worried about my own mental health every time I do this from now on. But I do it because I sacrifice for people, because I, I, I love people. I've been there. I suffered from demonic possession and because I've had that and God keeps reminding me to do good and not to do it is sin. That's what the Bible says. I am accountable now because I have all that hidden knowledge and I should be sharing it with others. Now, I, I'm doing this podcast and I'm writing my books because basically I don't know how long I have to live. I had a heart attack last year. I got a stent. I got a piece of metal in my chest. The Holy Spirit taught me a lot of stuff. A lot of secret stuff that a lot of people out there don't know. And I want that out there. So if you want to be an exorcist, you actually want to help people, you love people. This is why this I'm doing this podcast. Because I want to get this knowledge out to you to help you before I go. It just really puts a lot in your head when you're close to death like that. I could have died that day. 
really puts things into perspective. And after, you know, and personally too, I've had so much crap happen to me, backlashes from what I do, from from the devil and his demons. It's kind of a, a revenge for me to teach more exorcists out there, to know that the knowledge that I'm giving them is like me, you know, I'm giving like a portion of my spirit to you guys. It's like Elijah did with Elijah. The ministry is still going. Let me give you some sort of encouragement here. One, do not be afraid of these things, but be cautious because they will circumnavigate around the front that you're trying to put up. Think of which means think about your finances, think about your family, make sure everything in your family and your friends is all secure, the people that you love. Because if you don't evangelize to them and bring them to Christ, you're going to lose them. That's what happened to me. I lost a lot of loved ones. I'm glad that I evangelized to them, though. Some of them I knew were already in Christ, and I don't have to worry about them in my heart. The only person I worry about is my father. I mean, my father and I talked to him so much about Christ that it got to the point toward the end where he was... We stopped talking to each other. But my wife was going over there and visiting periodically. And it's funny... How the Holy Spirit would talk to you because we just felt this feeling like something was coming to an end. And there it was. Got the phone call from my mother one day that rushing him to, rushing him to the hospital. He's in a lot of abdominal pain. And they flew him down to St. Mary's in Saginaw. For the next six days, because he was on a blood thinner, they had to try and get him, well, they waited till the weekend because he was on a blood thinner, and so they needed his blood to thicken up, clot well, so before they did surgery. And as they were rolling him into surgery, his lower abdominal, abdominal aneurysm burst. They quickly did the surgery, it was successful, but he had a lot of blood in his abdomen. And for the next 16 days, he was in the hospital, unconscious. We couldn't say our goodbyes. Could barely talk to him. Then on April Fool's Day, a cruel joke I felt from the devil, he died. my hero. Later on, his sister discovered that she had an incurable form of cancer, her untreatable form of cancer. I had to drive all the way up north. She decided she didn't want to go through any chemo. She just wanted to stay at home and die. It gave her a lot of pain killers. I tell you, it's a different feeling to go into the, to somebody's home that you dearly love, especially a person who taught you Christ. And say goodbye to them while they're still alive. Be sure everything in your ministry, everything around you, your life, 
your family, your finances, your job is all secure before you do this, this kind of ministry. I'm speaking from experience. Now I know that some of you out there are probably thinking, especially in the paranormal community, and it makes me mad that you're even thinking of this. It's like, okay, well, they had did their own thing, Greg, and they died because of their own actions. Well, yeah, you could be right. How coincidental it is that you do an exorcism that failed, and then suddenly all your loved ones are picked off one by one over a span of two years. Both your grandparents, your father, your aunt, your uncle, great aunt, and some dear friends. And the funerals never stop. These Son of a bitches out there walking the earth. Our from I'm speaking from experience, people. Experience. They are freaking lying to you, and it's what they do best. The paranormal community that their freaking narrative is that. You can go in and ghost hunt, get EVPs from dead people that are in those homes or in those regions, in those places. They're dead. They're gone. But they're still living. Their spirits are, leaving, are, are, are on. And these mediums communicating with them. This is all in the Bible. They are not the dead spirits of people. They're not. They are evil spirits, familiar spirits, unclean spirits, and fallen angels, all in disguise. They are. And I can prove it to you. And I am speaking from experience. They are being... They are lying to you. It's what they do best. You are just a fog in the morning in your life. You are a morning dew. You're not here very long on this earth. The devil has perfected his craft for thousands of years. Now I'm not saying and this is so stupid that some of these paranormal investigators are saying this about people like me. Oh, because there's a bump on the wall, must be a demon. Or there's a scratch on the wall, must be a demon. No, we have what is called an objective diagnosis as exorcists. I do not believe any case until you show me the evidence. That's how we work. And that's how you, as a paranormal investigator, are supposed to be treating this kind of stuff. If there is something going on in a home, or there's something odd about a person, the family is responsible, and you need to educate them to get them psychological help first. If they claim... There is stuff going on in their home. You go in there. You get the evidence. You show it to them. What do you want to do? It's playing the part that they, this, this dead person in this home. It's a demon. What do you want to do? I know an exorcist. He can come in or she can come in and do a blessing. Kick this damn thing out. Don't be fooled. Don't go lying to people. You're doing exactly the, the thing that, that Satan wants you to do. Don't be stupid. Don't fall for his tricks. It's not a dead person. Again, from experience. My gosh. 
you are teaching a false doctrine to people and giving them some sort of false hope that the devil has created in his own doctrines for people. The devil wants you to believe that the dead walk of the earth because the Bible contradicts it. I could draw people away from God because the Bible says there's, the dead don't know nothing. It has appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We only live one life. And then they got to go before God and judge before they be judged whether they go to heaven or hell. If I can contradict that. I could contradict that by continually having my demons go around and portray the part of being dead people. You're just a big sucker if you believe that. Again, speaking from experience. Oh, I know. You're probably laughing about it. You're probably laughing about what I'm saying. I don't care. You can find out from the, the, the hard way. I have dr driven demons out of people before. I've called them up. And you even heard from one of my own students, Clay Scott, an exorcist now, a very good one, say, you act like a doctor, and you can just call them up and put them down whenever you want. Don't believe that? Come and meet me. Come and meet me. We'll have a chat. And I'll show you. All it takes is a conversation with me. At the last Paracon, sat down with two young men. Started talking with one of them. And right there at Paracon, I brought out the guy's demon. I held back quite a bit the majority of the time when I was there talking to people. I'm not afraid to bring up your demons and tell them to show their ugly face to you so you can see the truth. I'll do it. I'm not afraid to invite people out to an exorcism and have the demons talk to you. I'll do it. I will scare the hell out of you and show you the truth. Now, before we waste any more time, let's get into these, these prayers so that you can have some tools and so you can kick some ass in the demonic world. Sorry for speaking this way, but I hate demons. Because I know what they're doing. And this world is sucked into a false doctrine. And it pisses me off. Now let's start, let's start with oil. In the early centuries of the life of the church, and still today, oil blessed with a forceful prayer based on the letter of James. James chapter 5 verse 10 says, Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of, G in the, name of, of the Lord. Sorry. Oil is useful not only in, heal in healing prayer, but has long been considered a help in casting out evil spirits. It is no coincidence that oil was the universal medicine in Jesus' time and, it, and in using oil during healing prayers. Many, many early Christians were simply using the ordinary medicine of the day in conjunction with healing prayer. Luke chapter 10 verses 33 through 34 say, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
We can simply anoint the sick or, or oppressed with olive oil, of course, but it seems especially beneficial to use oil that we have prayed for, asking God to use it in healing and driving out evil spirits. The traditional Catholic prayer for oil gives some idea of how early Christians prayed and of the kind of prayer you yourself might compose to bless the oil. Notice in this prayer that one section asks God to use the oil for healing and another asks him to use it in freeing the afflicted from evil spirits. Now you'll notice that in, uh, if you haven't heard it already, go back to episode 3. Listen to that deliverance. You notice that I tell the, tell the victim of my uh, possession that I used oil. Blessed in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, what I did was I put the sign of the cross on her forehead because when the demon comes forward, they first mount through the back. And you notice that that uh, John Mueller, the demonologist there, he put a uh, when he put a blessed cross behind her neck, the demons came forward. And when they, what they do is they try to go through that what's called the third eye. And that's why we put the sign of the cross there above or between the person's eyes. So it's in a way it's kind of blinding the demon. So here's the prayer. Now ask yourself, ask, ask God, according to John 14, 14, to have this prayer applied to your oil as I pray. Lord God Almighty, before whom the, the hosts of angels stand in awe, and whose heavenly service we acknowledge, may it please you to regard favorably and to bless and hallow this creature oil, which by your power has been pressed from the juice of olives. You have ordained it for anointing the sick, so that when we are made well, they may give thanks to you, the living and true God. Grant, we pray, that those who will use this oil, which we are blessing in your name, may be delivered from all suffering, all infirmity, and all wiles of the enemy. Let it be the means of averting any kind of adversity from man, made in your image and redeemed by the precious blood of your Son, so that he may never again suffer the sting of the ancient serpent. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so now let's go on to salt. Bless salt. Second among the common elements that are, that are blessed and used to exercise evil is salt. It differs from oil and water in two different ways. One, if you use it to bless a room or a building, it remains for weeks or months, unlike, unlike water, which evaporates. You might compare salt to roach poison, which you need to uh, replenish only occasionally. Two, blessed salt can be sprinkled on, on food, representing, reflecting again an early Christian tradition. Now, don't add any kind of scents or anything to these objects. Just leave them the way they are. Leave the oil you know, normal. Leave the salt normal. Uh, what I usually do is use kosher salt, and then I, I bless it and with, with this following prayer. Uh, don't add any scent to the, the, the holy water as well. Just leave it the way it is because there's tricks to these. You can take blessed salt and sprinkle it on your food if you feel like you need need deliverance. 
or sprinkle it with their knowledge, of course, sprinkle some salt on, on a person's food as a, as a way of deliverance as well, so that the, the blessing gets inside their body, and then and the same thing can be done with holy water. I've blessed, uh, in one case down in, uh, it comes to my mind, uh, down in Holly, that was written about in Haunted Travels of Michigan. I took a cup of water, and I blessed it as the blood of Christ, and gave it to the woman, and cast the demons out. They had, they felt that they had the right to be in there. They weren't leaving. They had no more right to be there. And so I used a form of ecbolism by using the power of God, uh, using the blood of Christ, blessing water as the blood of Christ, and having the, wo the woman drink it, and she vomited up her demons. Um, the person, uh, let's see here. So let's pray. You have your salt in front of you. That's according to John 14, 14. That this prayer that I'm going to read, read aloud, would be applied to your salt. God's creature salt, I cast out the demon from you. And the, oh, this is a, sorry, this is a prayer before, um, uh, let me jump ahead. Um, Almighty, everlasting God, we humbly appeal to your mercy and goodness to graciously bless this creature's salt, which you have given for mankind's use. May all, though, may all who use it find it a remedy for body and mind. And may everything that it touches or sprinkles be freed from uncleanliness, any influence of the evil of the evil spirit, through Christ our Lord, Amen. So there you have it. Now on to water. Now blessed water, holy water. It is still another help in praying for deliverance. It differs from oil in that you can sprinkle it around uh, when you bless a room or house, and it does not stain as, as oil would. I've blessed a lot of homes. I noticed that the stain of the cross on the walls and stuff can still can be, can stay there uh, with oil. It actually can stain. But in a way, it's kind of a good thing, I think. Um, it is used more commonly than than oil or salt because it is uh, has a close association with baptism. Uh, you, I've uh, I talked to Clay about one pastor I know that used a bucket of water, holy water, and would uh, cast the demons out that way. The prayer for blessing for, for water is like the blessing for oil and salt. And the prayer, we, we ask, may you be purified. So let's pray. May you be purified, empowered to drive afar all power of the enemy, in fact, to root out and banish the enemy himself, along with his fallen angels. We ask this prayer, we ask this through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. May everything that this water sprinkles in the home and gatherings of the faithful be delivered from all that is unclean and hurtful. Let no breath of contagion hover there, no taint of corruption. Let all the wiles of the lurking enemy come to nothing. By the sprinkling of this water, may everything opposed to the safety and peace of the occupants of these homes be banished so that in calling on your holy name we may know the well-being and desire 
and be protected from every peril through Christ our Lord. Amen. So that's it there. Again, um, another thing that I want to mention is the Bible talks about how God does not hear heathen prayer. It's usually a prayer that is repeated over and over. You write a prayer down and you keep saying it. He's already heard it once. You don't need to keep repeating it. A prayer should come from the heart. Come from faith. It should be connected to the Holy Spirit through the Galatians chapter 5 of all the fruits of the Spirit. Make sure that you're in conjunction with those. And you don't necessarily need me or a pastor or priest to create these objects. Just sit down, write out a prayer from your heart, asking God, according to John 14, 14, to bless these objects. And they're blessed. Have that faith that the centurion has. Now what I'll get into is, um, this is the prayer that I use for cleansing a home of evil spirits. And uh, when I pray this again, Pray, you know, you can have your speaker loud. And as you, as the, I read this prayer, um, pray to yourself. Pray that this prayer be applied to the home according to John fourteen fourteen. Ask anything in my name, and it will happen. Let's begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord, our Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all opportunities for ground held by Satan's wicked demons in relation to this home and property. I bind with chains and fetters of iron all wicked spirits and their schemes and assignments against this home and property. I ask my Lord Jesus Christ to evict them from this home and property with any controlling powers of darkness, and to send them where they may never control or harm any person again. Heavenly Father, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all past use of this property for false religions, occult practices, divination, magic, sorcery, witchcraft, spiritualistic healings, and such. I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to remove all curses, Spells, hexes, witchcraft spells, voodoo spells, satanic spells, and occult evil. Heavenly Father, in the name of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all expressions of anger, bitterness, rebellion, and lack of submission to God's will exercised by persons who live on this property or in this home at the present or who previously lived here. I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to remove all anger, bitterness, rebellion, stubbornness, and spirits of separation seeking to rule this home. Heavenly Father, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all expressions of pride and control exercised by persons who live on this property or in this home at the present or who previously lived here. I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to remove all prideful spirits and all controlling spirits. Heavenly Father, in the name of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all acts of immorality, impurity, indecency, strife, jealous, jealousy, selfishness, drunkenness, drug abuse, envy exercised by people, who lived or previously lived here. I ask the Lord, Jesus Christ, to remove all immoral, impure, indecent, strifeful, jealous, selfish, drunkenness, drug abuse, and envious spirits. 
Heavenly Father, in the name of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his shed blood, I now renounce all generational claims against this home and property, including ground obtained through worship of false gods, practice of sorcery, fortune-telling, consulting with mediums, Freemasonry, or other secret organizations. I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to remove all demonic spirits associated with these wicked acts. Heavenly Father, I ask you to do these things according to John 14:14, 14, 14, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Heavenly Father, I dedicate this home and property to you. It shall be a house of prayer, a house of praise and worship to you, my Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You have been listening to The Exorcist's Podcast, a production of Haggard Enterprises, 2021.